Eric uh, and I had a testimony set up about a, uh, what God did in his business, but he said he has a different testimony that he would rather share, and so we're all going to hear that together. So, all right, Eric, let her rip. What do you got? Good morning. I, I kind of surprised John on a testimony. Um, he had something else planned, and I had told him something earlier, but um, about two years ago, I had pneumonia so bad, I was on the point of death, and I didn't know it until I went and saw a doctor, and he said, you've had this for five months in your system and your lungs. And uh, I was at home, and the way I battled it was just isolating myself from everybody and just shutting the world out. And I just thought I could beat it on my own. I'm a physical trainer. So uh, John reached out and called me, and he didn't know I was going to say this when I came up here, but he reached out and called me, and that meant so much to me because I didn't want to reach out to anybody else. I just wanted to push everybody away and just fight this on my own. Another time I was hurting really bad as a father, and I needed help. I just needed someone to talk to, and so I called him, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know, mess up his schedule during the week. He's busy with his kids and church and everything else, and he called me back instantly. He counseled me, encouraged me, prayed with me, and uh, you just talked about the church being, us being the bodybuilder church. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, you're the spine, not just for the support, but the central nervous system is off the spine, mm-hmm. and it sends out signals to the body, and the body sends out signals to it. <laughs> the physical trainer is going to give... <laughs> So give us a physiology lesson here. So this guy feels stuff in the body that we don't, mm. and it goes back to his heart, and he he sends out help, and he'll either pray with you or somebody else in the church will. And I want to share one more thing, if I have your permission. Okay. All right. One of my friends in here. Keep talking about how wonderful I am. Go. Okay. John's so strong that when we arm wrestled, never mind. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, one of my friends is, was a client, became a friend, is now family. She accepted Jesus into her heart in her car. And she kept asking me to teach her stuff about the word. And I finally just told her, you got to come to my church. It's a house of worship. It's a house of people that love the Lord like we do. And, you, you know, you're just, it's a great place to be where you'd be encouraged and built up. So my friend Vicki has made this her body. And Peggy has made this her body for fellowship. And I'm just grateful that I have a place that's safe and loving and right comforting on. that I can bring them. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Good stuff, man. All right, I'm going to step across the screen. Here's what it is. I'm going to turn this off. All right, so um, I am so thankful for this building the Lord has given to us. It has its little personalities, like no lights. So we open up that back that back screen back there, and we got light coming in from that way, which makes it harder for me to see you, but better for you to see everybody else. And, you know, we are here to be with each other, right? And uh, so we're doing what we can. I met with the principal this week. Um, Actually, all the principals in the region, we were together for a couple hours talking about our city and how to serve and stuff. And the principal here is dealing with the same thing we're dealing with. And so uh, it is what it is. But I'm just thankful that we have a place that we can gather and God's presence fills it. I've met with the Lord in the force in Russia. I've met with him in the underground in Vietnam. I've met with him in villages in Ethiopia and in India. And it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's where God's people come together. God's presence is there. And uh, our lives are changed. And so um, I'm just thankful for you and for our God and for the place we get to meet. So, um, hey, speaking of, uh, we do have some pretty good GPC swag. Uh, hey, lift up that, ho- throw that hoodie to me, would you? People have been asking about this, and I keep forgetting to talk to you guys about. Some people see people walking around with some of the best swag in San Diego, and so let me tell you about it. It's 
So this is a great hoodie. You might want one of these in the winter. I wore this this morning. It was getting a little hot. So I took it off. David Lowe said, aren't you getting hot in that? I said, yeah, I am. So I took it off. And so then I had this one on underneath. And of course, if I get even hotter, that I can just wear my short sleeve underneath that one. So you got triple swag going on here. And you can, if you want some, the, the t-shirts are 20 or 15, these long tees are 20 and then the hoodies are 30. So Stuart, who oversees the resource table out there, has um, an order form for you. I think they come in different colors too. So if you want some GPC swag, you need to order it today and then our printer will print them this week, and they will be here next Thursday, or next, next Thursday, next Sunday, and it, it'll change your life. When you put them on, you feel the divine energy of God. It really is amazing. So you don't want to live without them. All right, let's get into the Word and speak some truth. Jesus, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the men and women who gave their lives so that we could have it. Thank you for the freedom in our country, the religious freedom where I can stand here and preach and your people can come without being afraid and being in danger and being persecuted. We're so blessed to be able to hear your word. I pray for all those online listening, all those that are watching, that your spirit and your word would pierce their hearts and bring them the miracle they need. Open our eyes this morning, Holy Spirit, to see as God sees to feel as God feels, to move as God moves. Do a supernatural work in us today. Amen. So today, I'm going to cap the series, and we've said this, I think, the last three or four Sundays, on identity theft. But this really is it. Unless I decide to teach on it again next week. But, but, uh, I've been thinking about this, and I want to drop this in here because I think it is a critical paradigm shift that has got to happen in your minds and in the minds of every believer uh, that is on the planet. It's a perspective change that will change the way that you see yourself in your daily life from now until the time Jesus returns, every minute of every day and everywhere you go. What I want to do today is I want to obliterate the divide between what's called the secular and the sacred. The definition of the sacred is something that is devoted or dedicated to a deity or to some religious purpose, consecrated. In other words, you set something apart for a special use. My computer is set apart. My kids are not allowed on it because I used to do that when they were younger and you get viruses in it you get scratches on the screen and you know what i'm talking about right it's like that is sec- that is sanctified that is set apart that is holy <laughs> don't touch it right some some of you have a have a have something special that is set apart a tool a chair whatever it might be that is yours and yours alone it is holy and set apart to you it has a special purpose Then the secular is the not religious. It is not dedicated to a deity or to some religious purpose or consecrated. It's just average general use. What we've done in Christendom is we have made the preacher, the pastor, the fivefold ministry, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or in Catholicism, the priests, or the imams in in, uh, Islam, 
or the spiritual leaders in different religions, we've made them and we've made the churches, the house of God, the physical place we meet as holy and sanctified and set apart. Then all of God's people are common. Your house is common, your car is common, your job is common. But I'm holy, you see, because I'm set apart to God. I'm a pastor, I'm a priest. This place is holy. Your house is common. Going to a connect group is holy. Going to church is holy. Giving money to the church is holy. Prayers are holy. Fasting is holy. But eating dinner with your family is common. Going to school is common. Being on a sports team is common. Going to work is common. I want that divide to be completely erased forever from your minds and from this day until Jesus returns. Because the matter of the fact is, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God, you are holy, set apart, sanctified, set apart for a special use, and that is to be the salt and light of this world. Therefore, wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. The Spirit of God is with you. You have an angel that has been assigned to you, at least one. Some of you have, probably have a whole host of angels because you need them. What you do, where you go, what you say, who you relate to is holy and sanctified and sacred because God is with you and you are on assignment to represent Jesus to the world. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Your house is holy, you are holy, your car is holy, your job is holy, your relationships are holy, they're set apart and sanctified to the Lord. We have such a divide in our minds, and Satan will tell you, we're talking about identity theft. Satan will tell you that unless you are volunteering in the church, or part of the five-fold ministry, or quote, in the full-time ministry, what you are doing is not spiritual. And that's a lie. Every believer on the planet is in the full-time ministry. The word ministry means to serve others, serving God by serving others. Every time you have a conversation with somebody, the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your mom and the dad, the way you treat your employees, your employer, the way you relate to the unsaved, to the saved, all of that is ministry, serving. It is spiritual. I remember one time I was in an airport terminal and I was sitting down and the young man was sitting next to me and he was in his like mid-20s. And we got to talking a little bit, and I said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I am a, uh, I'm a broker. I broker uh, physicians, surgeons, with hospital administrators. So hospitals need surgeons, and surgeons need a hospital. And so he is the, he's the uh, broker. He finds the right match. And uh, I thought, that's really interesting, very unique. And he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he dropped his head like this. And he said, I used to volunteer in the youth ministry in my church, but I can't, you know, because I'm traveling all the time. And this shame was on him. And I said, you're still in the ministry? And he looked at me. I said, how, who is going to reach hospital administrators and surgeons who don't go to church? Who's going to reach them for Christ? You are. 
You are on assignment. You're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in the full-time ministry. You ought to see his shoulders went back, his head came up. You saw dignity restored instantaneously into this young man. I said, you volunteer in the youth ministry, what? What's that, a couple hours a week? There's a lot of week left. You, we need people volunteering in the church here on Sunday mornings. We need children's ministries. We need youth ministries. We need set up and breakdown crew. Don't get me wrong. We need you to volunteer. But it's only a couple hours a week. Then you have the rest of your week. What is that? Unholy? Common? Unspiritual? Everybody say no out loud, please. No. no. It's all holy. It's all dedicated to God. But this, this lack of understanding like this young man, the lack of understanding that God was with him in his occupation, and it was spiritual, crippled him spiritually. That one little conversation with information that changed the way he thought about who he was and what he did, I'm sure changed him forever. I, was, uh, I hired a day laborer this week because you all stopped showing up at my house to help me with the garden. So, Oh, I like that. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That was awesome. We were, at our, we were in our ministry at work. Love it. That was so good and so right. So I went down to the local donut shop and grabbed a, a day worker, and he and I were planting a tree together in my yard. And as we we're sitting there planting, he's from Guatemala. He's got a wife, and he's got a three-year visa. And he's, uh, so he's here. He's been here for years. He's got two years left. He's got a five-year-old at home and his wife at home. And um, she called a couple times while we were planting the tree and they're having a little private conversation around a bush. And, um, and then the Lord just told me his age. I said, uh, I don't know, this is, sorry, Francisco, just bear with me. I said, uh, esta, um, uh, tiene uh, 26 años, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Translated. You're 36 years old. And he looked at me and he said, 30, 36, 36. How do you say shut up in Spanish? Ayate. And he looked at me and he said, you know, he goes, how did you know that? I said, Jesus just told me your age. And I said, do you know why he would tell me your age? He said, No. He said, like that, no. I got that one. That was perfect. <laughs> I said, because he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. He was a skilled worker. He knew what he was doing. I needed him. And he was blessing me because he was working so hard and doing such a good job, lifting my burden. And he, there's no way that he thought that God cared about what he was doing. That he's just a landscaper, he's working, he's a day worker, and he's working to help plant a tree. His wife and his kid are back in Guatemala. Guatemala. Obviously, he thought, this is unimportant. But God was there. He started laughing, this joy came out, he just started laughing, he couldn't believe it. 
How personal is our God? And he was a Christian. He was, at lunchtime, he was, he was watching his church live on, uh, on his phone at a church service. He said, this is my, me, Iglesia. So I looked up our website and got a sermon, of, uh, a video of me preaching. I said, well, this is our Iglesia. <laughs> he said, that's you. I said, yeah. But you see, to him, the church service was holy. So he's connecting with his church service on his phone, which is great. But I could tell that it was like, that's where I meet God. And God wanted to show him, no, I also meet you when you're planting a tree for a gringo. (laughs) The truth is, you are an ambassador for Christ. You know what an ambassador is, right? We're hearing a lot about ambassadors these days. Where you represent the president of the United States, supposedly, and another country. That what your president says and what your president believes, what your president wants, you are expressing to the dignitaries and the authorities in that other country. Your reflection and a representative. The Bible says you are an ambassador of Christ on the volleyball court, at work, the way you treat your spouse, the way you raise your kids, the way you obey your parents, the way you obey your pastor, the way that we respond to all authority. Everything we do and everywhere we go, we are representing Christ to the world to draw them to Christ so they can become a child of God and spend eternity with the Father. That's our assignment. That's who we are. Colossians 3.17 says this, work willingly. Everybody say willingly. See, this has to do with attitude. This whole series about identity theft, the reason this ties in is because The way you do what you do, how you do what you do, for who you're doing what you do, reveals who you are. You say, I'm a child of God. Well, let me see it. The only way I will know you're a child of God is by the way you live your life. That's all we can see. And so the expression of what you do and how you do it reveals your identity to the world. Look what this says. Work willingly, that's attitude, at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That right there is, that right there will set you free. That will set you free right there. You're at work, you don't like your boss. He or she is just unfair or rude or insensitive or you don't think they know what they're doing. It doesn't matter if you're working for the Lord. Because you see, the Lord's over your boss or over your coach or over your teacher or over your, your, your mom or your dad or over your pastor or whatever it might be. I, I call it the authority sandwich. Okay? God's up here. You, the authority you're under is right here and you're down here. And I've seen this time and time and time and time and time again. I've seen this in every sphere of life, every arena. Because authority is everywhere. When the authority that's over you, you don't agree with them, if you will submit to them, not to be abused, but I'm just talking about when they annoy you, when, when you think that they're treating you unfairly or unjust or they're harsh or whatever it might be. If you will submit to them, that means not criticizing them, not joining the other employees as they're, always, they're criticizing the boss, which is so easy to do. If you're in authority, if you're in leadership, you're going to be criticized, period. It's like putting on a coat. You wear it. Because, and if you're an authority, people criticize you. Because we all think we know the better, best way to do it. And so if you're an authority, you're just going to be criticized. Just deal. But if you're under authority and people are criticizing the authority, you don't join in with that. 
You submit to authority by saying all authority has been given by God. And if you submit, you're the hardest worker, you have the best attitude, you show up early, you leave late, you do the best job of anyone else, and God sees you humbling yourself because you're not working as unto your boss, you're working as unto the Lord. Hello? Hello? Your connection is heavenly. You're a heavenly citizen working for the master carpenter, Jesus himself. And I guarantee you that when God sees that humble posture of yours, he does what I call the authority sandwich. He begins to squeeze down on that meat in between the two pieces of bread. That would be who's ever over you in authority. You're here and you're submitted. God sees that submission. He likes it. He begins to squeeze down. And what I've seen over and over and over is that that, that person in authority either is improved or removed. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, everybody say remember. Okay, you got to remember this because here's the motivation. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. That is now in this temporal life and in eternity. The Lord is watching the way you work. He's watching the way you behave. He's watching your speech and your attitude, your demeanor in the earth, the salt and light. And he rewards you. And that the master you are serving is Christ. It really is amazing to watch God move on your behalf when he sees that you are living as unto him and think people aren't treating you right and he will make the necessary adjustments to honor you. So your work, your play, your social interactions, your hobbies, your relationships are all to be considered holy activities. The Bible says you are the fragrance of Christ. That means wherever you go, people should be able to smell Jesus on you. What does that mean? Your attitude, your demeanor, your speech, your behavior. You know, they called them Christians in the first century. It wasn't a compliment. It was a slur. They called them little Jesuses, Jesus freaks. Christian, the I-A-N at the end is is miniature. A A small Christ. But it was a mock, they were mocking them, but the name stuck. We're Christians, we're little Jesuses running around. Your behavior and your attitude should be so much like Christ that people, they see you and they say, wow, you are just like Jesus. The salt and light of the world. The salt is preservation. You're to preserve your work environment, preserve your home, preserve like, let's say the classroom. Let's say you're the only student that stands up and they do a Socratic, uh, you know, uh, exercise in class where you take two sides of an issue and let's say it's on abortion. And you stand up, and maybe you're the only one in the entire class that is pro-life or willing to stand up and be pro-life. you got this whole, a whole other bank of students that is, that is coming against you or evolution or creation or whatever the issue may be that is a core value issue that's either kingdom core values or it's the world's core values, and you decide, I am not going to hide and be quiet. I'm not going to be obnoxious, 
But when it's time to speak, I'm not going to be intimidated. I am going to represent Jesus in this environment. You know what that's called? Salt and light. Salt preserves the moral fabric of our society. You're the salt of the earth. You can call yourself the salt of the earth, but if you're not salty, you are not expressing your identity. So people don't know you're truly a Christian. Or you call yourself a Christian, but then your core values, your behavior, your attitude don't line up with it, and it's a lack of integrity, and it wipes out your testimony, and it reflects poorly on God. Philippians 2 says this, Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, the Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church, it is even more important. Work hard. Everybody say, work hard. Work hard. Look what he's going to say you got to work hard at. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. See, one of the mottos here at the gathering place is we share and show the gospel. We're showing the gospel by doing these uh, Christmas boxes, this Operation Christmas Child, these shoe boxes today. We're showing the compassion of Christ. We're not just saying that we care about the lost uh, and the poor. We're actually showing. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you to the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. Do everything. Watch this. This is where we're going to lose half of you. Without complaining and arguing. One translation says grumbling. Do everything. You see, this is about your identity on the planet earth. We've got to be different or we are not salt and light and we can't lead anybody out of darkness to the light himself, Jesus Christ. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. I think about every conversation I have with a cashier, with a salesperson on the phone, with the Jehovah Witnesses that come to my front door, with everyone that I'm responsible to shepherd and the way that I handle you and treat you, the way I speak to my wife, the way my kids see me uh, treat my wife. I mean, everywhere, I mean, the, these, the folks that are on the campus that have their school here, uh, all, everyone, I, I'm constantly thinking about how I am reflecting, supposed to be reflecting Christ. And if they need him, would I be the person that they could see him through? If not, I have completely failed my assignment. And I don't want to fail my assignment. You want to fail? Do you want to fail? Okay, I'm trying to help you today. All right. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Oh, you call yourself a Christian and look the way you behave. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. See, there's the identity. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. I have, I have teenagers sometimes say to me, oh, dad, it's just, whoops, I just gave them away. Tried to make that generic. It's different than when you were a kid. No, it's not. No, it's not. You've got the kingdom of God. You've got the kingdom of the world. 
You got the core values of the world, which are opposite the core values of the kingdom of God. Like abstinence. People mock and laugh at abstinence. My wife, you may or may not know, she got arrested when she was a teenager because she uh, pro- did a sit-down protest at an abortion clinic. And uh, she went to jail. Uh, that's really ineffective. So you know what she is, is now? Now she is a research scientist working uh, in the health industry. And she taught a class at San Diego State University in human sexuality. And all the other, most of the other professors, when they get to the abstinence option, they just skip right over it. She just camped on it for a while. <laughs> see, that's influence. You've got to see your sphere of influence as your mission field and see yourself as a missionary. I'm going to say that again. You must see your sphere of influence. Your your friend circle, your classroom, the sports team, your work environment, your neighborhood, your extended family, your oikos, the Greek word is. Everything you touch, everywhere you go, your sphere of influence, that is your mission field. That's why there's a sign as you leave the campus, if you've ever seen it, you're now entering the mission field. That is your mission field, and you must see yourself as a missionary to your mission field. You are a co-laborer with Christ. He's out saving the world, but he needs you to do it with him. And so you're a co-laborer, a co-mission, the great co-mission. You're on a mission to represent Jesus. We bring people to Jesus. We bring Jesus to people and we bring people to Jesus. We bring Jesus to people and we bring people to Jesus. That's what we do. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live innocent, clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. The president of Point Loma Nazarene University, where my daughter Isabella goes to college, got into a cab here in San Diego. And the cab driver asked him what he did, and he said, Oh, I'm the president of Point Loma Nazarene University. He stopped the cab and he said, You know what? I got to tell you something. I love it every time a student from, from Point Loma gets into my cab. He said, why? He said, because they always ask me about me. He said, most people get in the cab and they're all by themselves. They totally ignore me. Your students get in and they ask me about my life. They pray for me. They care about me. He said, I've never seen anything like it. When I went to the student orientation and we were in the, in the uh, chapel there, the president was talking and he said, if you leave this university after four years and you are not using the knowledge and the skills that you learned here to serve the world, we have completely failed in our mission. I love it. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a payment for many. And we are to do the same thing. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the idea was that the house of God was holy. That's where God was. And all the people came to the house of God. Look at this tremendous diagram I created this week. So you see, <clears throat> that's, that's the house of God. That's church. That's the temple. 
That's the mosque or whatever it is that the religious organization would consider the holy place. And we all go to it like you've come here today, which is appropriate. Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. But in the New Testament, the paradigm flips. And this is really the locker room at halftime. And I'm your coach. And I'm challenging you and inspiring you and training you. That's my job. The Bible says my job is to train the body of Christ to do the ministry. I don't work where you work. I don't live in your home. Some of you say, thank God. Could you imagine? Pastor John watching everything we do. Hmm. My poor kids. Yeah. But I'd be watching to help and encourage I don't go where you go. You go where you go. That's your world. And my job is to equip you to do your job. And so the paradigm flips. You come to church and then guess what? You go out into your respective areas of influence. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's no good for nothing. Be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. You give light to everyone in your life, whether they like the light or not, you give light if you're living according to kingdom values. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works And glorify your Father in heaven. You see the connection? My point is, your identity is revealed by your actions. People can't see God if they don't see Him through your lifestyle. Let your good works, your works, so shine before men that they will glorify your Father in heaven. They see a difference in you and it makes them look up. That's your identity. That's your assignment. And that's what you'll be rewarded for. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a dad, a what, or a teacher, a professor, a banker, a custodian, an accountant, an engineer, CEO, a nurse, construction worker, social worker, you're called, anointed, gifted by God to represent Jesus to the world. Look at this phrase. What you do and how you do it and who you do it for does not only reveal who you are, but whose you are. God reveals who he is by what he does. You wouldn't know God was the healer unless he healed you. You're like, oh, wait a minute. You're the healer. God provides for you. It's like, oh, you're a provider. God saved you. Oh, you're the savior. Do you see how you get to know God by what he does? His identity is expressed in his behavior. In fact, when God does something, he then puts his name on it. After he defeated the Amalekites with Joshua, he said, I am Jehovah Nisi. He provided for Abraham. I am Jehovah Jireh. He healed the Israelites. I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. So it's our actions that reveal our identity. Okay, now, I want to draw to a close of this last chunk of Scripture that's just profound in the Bible. I love it so much. 
Whatever you do, whatever abilities you have, whatever skills you have, whatever knowledge you have, you must see your abilities as given to you by God to be used for His purposes and His glory. Now look at this in Exodus chapter 31. This is really an amazing passage that includes everybody in every sphere of life. You know, the seven spheres of influence in life. There's the media, there's the entertainment, there's the education, there's the government, there's the church, there's family, uh, a couple more. can't think off the top of my head. These seven spheres of influence are where you and I are the salt and the light of the world. At the turn of the 20th century, something horrible happened. There was a holiness movement, which was great, but our interpretation of holiness was to separate ourselves from the world systems. So Christians in mass exited from the education system and stopped writing the curriculum. Exited the world of science. Exited the entertainment industry. Exited involvement with the government because it was unholy. These places are worldly and unholy, so we are removing ourselves from them and we abdicated our divine authority of influence in every one of these realms, and the vacuum was filled with non-Christians who are not bringing God's value system to these arenas. And so we spent a hundred years trying to get it back. And in the 70s, we tried to do it through a political arm, which is not a great way to bring the kingdom of God because it's very combative. The way you bring the kingdom of God into your environment is simply being a servant like Christ. Being the salt and the light of your sphere of influence. Because changed people change the world. When you're changed, you can change an individual through influence, through love, through forgiveness, through kindness. And that changes them because you're different. And they're like, well, I've never seen anything like that. And you're leading them to Christ. And then the Spirit of God comes into them. All of a sudden, they begin to think like God thinks and desire the things that God desires. So that individual's changed. And then they change somebody. And they change somebody. That's how the kingdom of God spreads throughout the planet. It's through changed lives, not through imposing legislation. Can I hear an amen? Okay. So look at this passage. This is amazing. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalelah, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him. Now you've got to put yourself in this passage. Okay? You need to put your name instead of blah, 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 blah. Put your name in there. I do that in my Bible. I cross out people's names because they're dead. They're done. They're gone. I literally write my name in the Bible. You got to own this covenant. It's your covenant with God. That, that, the Bible's a love letter written to you by God. I write my name in there. This is me. I even scratched out King David's name and put my name on top of his. <gasps> yeah, he's done. His run's over. It's my turn. It's my book. My God. My passage. All right. I guess I'm all alone on that one. I have called Lily. I have called Chris and Rachel. I've called Gary and Kathy. I have called 
Rick. I have called Eric. I've called Ron. I've called them. And I've filled them with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and in knowledge to be a pastor, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. All the rest are irrelevant. Is that what it says? I filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works. Spirit filled by God to design artistic works, to work in gold, silver, bronze, cutting with jewels, carving wood, all manners of workmanship, to be a waiter, a waitress, a stewardess, a teacher, a mechanic. Do you believe that you're a spirit filled by God, anointed to do what you do? If you don't, begin believing it, because you are. When you walk on the school campus, you have been anointed by God as you walk on that campus, filled with the spirit, on assignment to be the salt and light of the world. Say, I am anointed by God. Say it again. I am anointed by God. Say, I am anointed and appointed. And I am on assignment from heaven. You see, if you believe that 24-7, it changes the way that you behave. I indeed have appointed him with Aholiab, the son of Halalah, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all the furniture of the tabernacle, the tables, the utensils, pure gold lampstands, utensils, the altar of incense, altar of burnt offerings, utensils, laver, its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron and priests, the garments of her sons, the ministers, priests, the anointing oil and sweet incense of the holy place according to all that I have commanded you. Look at all the industries represented right there. You've got art, the artists, the masons, metal workers, blacksmiths. You have painters. You have people making garments. You have the design industry. You have the, the perfume, the fragrance industry. You have all, see, we don't see those things as holy, but they are if a Christian is doing them. And God fills you with wisdom. To be able to do your work more excellent than anyone else around you. For His glory. This was all for the house of God. But now everything you do is for the kingdom of God throughout the earth. You think about how God, or how Solomon cried out to God for wisdom. Because he was overwhelmed at work. King David went on to be with the Lord. Solomon, his son, becomes the new king. He's like probably in his mid-20-something. He has over 3 million people or plus that he's responsible for. Is the most powerful kingdom in the world. David was the most powerful king in the world. His dad, gone. Solomon offered a thousand sacrifices in one night, begging God for help. Could you imagine? You see, there's one stage where you're praying to God to get out of survival mode. But once God prospers you, your prayers change for wisdom on how to steward the wealth or the influence, the platform that Christ has given to you. It can be overwhelming once you are exalted. You've got to handle it well. And so Solomon cries out for wisdom, and God 
just plops it into his heart. And he builds God's house. He builds his own house. And the queen of Sheba comes to see King Solomon. And she looks around at his administration. His administration. His organization. She's flabbergasted. The queen of Sheba is flat. She says, I have never seen anything so beautiful in all of my life. Wife, your organization, all your servants are happy. The beauty. She was, she's, I, half of your wisdom wasn't told to me. She was blown away at the excellence of Solomon's work. But it was an expression of the wisdom of God that he had put in his servant's heart which was a reflection of God's glory in the earth. That's who you are. You are not average. You are a royal son or daughter of God, filled with His Spirit, on assignment to do whatever it is you do. Do it for God. Let's pray. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just open your palms heavenward, okay? And I want you to close your eyes.